we've made it to the tenth and final commandment, one that forces us to reflect on our affections and desires, and then invites us to find satisfaction in God alone. Listen now as Dr. Brown walks us through the tenth word. This is Hearing is Believing. Take your Bible, please, and join me in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And today we'll look at the tenth word, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. And I recently found myself watching the uh, Academy Award-winning documentary, Free Solo. Has anyone ever seen that documentary, Free Solo? Well, the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? But anyway, it's a, uh, I understand those things. I'm the son of a paratrooper, and of course, people would kid my dad all the time, but why on earth would you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? And I understand when they would say that to my dad. But anyway, this story, Free Solo, is the story of Alex uh, Honnold in his endeavor to be the first to climb El Capitan alone and without a rope. Now, for those of you who don't know what that mountain looks like, El Capitan is 3,200 feet of sheer granite. And it was first climbed in 1958 by a group, and it, it took this particular group over 46 days over a period of 16 months. And they couldn't do it all at once because they had to uh, drill holes for their rigging as they went. So it took them a little while. In the words of Tommy Caldwell, himself a climber, listen to what he says. He says, imagine an Olympic athlete trying for gold, and if you don't get it, you die. So you watch this documentary unfold, and you see this young man, he's having as his solitary goal, his whole purpose, literally, his whole purpose in life is to uh, not just climb this mountain, but to free solo this 3,200-foot cliff. And Alex, he said in the video, he said, your whole life depends on a single foothold, standing on tiny edges, small variations in the texture of the rock. If you slip, your hands can't hold you. It's just the two tiny points of contact that keep you from falling. And when you step up, there's only one point of contact. 3,200 feet without a rope and alone. And on June the 3rd, 2017, he successfully free soloed Al Capitan, and it took him three hours and 56 minutes. So we've come to our point in our series where we've been looking at this series now for 12 weeks. This is the next to last sermon. We're going to come and wrap things up next week with one last uh, summer sermon in our School of the Faith. That was very hard to say, by the way. We're going to come one last time and look at our final sermon in the uh, School of Faith. I did it twice. What am I doing? Move on. All right. Anyway. But these Ten Commandments, we've, we've faced the summit of God's law, and what we've tried to do is we've, we've tried to understand it. We've, we've tried to see the heights of the mountain of God, and so we've had Jesus as our God. We've had Him as our God. We've divided the whole law the way that He divided the whole law into two sections, love of God on one hand and love of neighbor on the other, with honoring father and mother being that fourth word that is the hinge point or the point where the two horizons, the, the uh, vertical horizon and the horizontal horizon, the point in which they meet. 
And so a right interpretation of the law means that we're overwhelmed by its difficulty. As we're looking at this list before us, we imagine, we say with the apostles, as they encounter Jesus, who is capable for these things? And then we get, when we think that it couldn't get any harder, then we reach the tenth word. And we see what these commandments have been about all along. Listen to the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So look at that list of commandments before us. And if you're evaluating the commandments so far, maybe you've been here and you've sensed a, a bit of relief. But that relief comes crashing down if you've made it this far when you encounter the tenth word. Some of you, perhaps, maybe you've encountered the Ten Commandments before, and maybe you're sitting here today and you have, uh, you've been checking the boxes. You look at this list, especially 13, 14, 15, 16, and you say, well, I'm not a murderer. I've never committed adultery. I've not stolen anything. And then from all intents and purposes, there's a community around you that would probably agree with you from an outside perspective looking at your life. They would say, you know what, yeah, I don't have any friends who are convicted murderers or who are guilty of stealing something. And so there's a community that you could, that you could amass around you that would agree with you that, yeah, this person's an upstanding citizen. But then again, we come to the tenth word. We come this moment to inspect the place that only God knows. We get to look inside your heart. And so for all intents and purposes, you may be able to fool everybody around you and check off this list, but then we come to the tenth word, the place where God knows, the secret chambers of your heart. It was that great philosopher, Winnie the Pooh, who said, sometimes the smallest things make up the most room in your heart. And it's the tenth word that deals directly with what it is that makes up the most room in your heart. So what is it that makes the most room in your heart? Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 37, one of my favorite psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And from that, and from encountering the tenth word, we learn this first truth that I want you to write down. God concerns Himself with your desires. And listen to this next part. His desire is for you to desire Him. We learn from the tenth word. We learn from a corpus of Scripture, a whole body of text, this one truth that we're bringing to your attention today. God concerns Himself with what you desire. And He has a desire, and His desire is for you to desire Him. And so I just want to simply ask you this question this morning, what do you desire this morning? Now, God 
created us with, with more than a mind. He created us with a heart. Sometimes we forget this. We're, we're often, uh, we're often uh, think that we're just a, a person who computes as if we, you know, if we can just make our children uh, get into this particular program, make them check these little boxes of maybe cleaning their room or making their bed or these little things, and our children will turn out okay. We're more than a person who thinks. We're not just computers who computes. We're lovers. All of us are lovers. It was Rene Descartes who reduced us to thinkers. And some of you may not know who Rene Descartes is, but let me remind you, he's the one that said, I think, therefore I am. And that Cartesian worldview has captivated your hearts more than you realize. It's captivated my heart more than I realize. But we know that we are more than thinkers. You're a lover. Now, we want to balance things, right? We can't be anti-thinking. We can't, we can't fall into the trap of, well, if it feels good, just do it, that kind of way of life. We, we can't simply just follow your passions. I can't just simply come up here and tell you, just follow your heart. You have to have a balance between proper thinking and proper feeling. And here's what else I'm convinced of. I can't just simply tell you to follow your own heart because I'm not sure that you can trust your heart. And the reason that I'm not sure you can trust your heart is because I don't trust my heart. And it's not just as simple for me to say something like, uh, just think your way through this, as if there's no feelings involved, as if there's no emotions involved. God created you to desire, and God has a desire, believe it or not. His desire is for you to desire Him. Now, the church through the ages has had many centuries of, of thinking about our desires, and, and one, of the most, one of the most recognized is a man by the name of Augustine. Augustine. I know you think it's Augustine, but it's really not. It's Augustine, all right? Augustine. He wrote a classic, and he wrote a classic called Confessions, and every Christian, I believe, should read Augustine's Confessions. But he has, a, he has an opening paragraph that is just, it, it sums up the whole work. And listen to this opening paragraph. Listen to what he says. You are great, Lord, and highly to be praised. Great is your power, and your wisdom is immeasurable. Man, a little piece of your creation desires to praise you. A human being bearing his mortality with him, carrying with him the witness of his sin, and the witness that you resist the proud. Nevertheless, to praise you is the desire of man, a little piece of your creation. And listen to this next sentence. It's probably the most famous. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So I'm speaking to a group of people, no doubt, probably, there are many in our midst today that if you're honest, if you're having an honest evaluation with where things stand in your heart and your affections and your emotions, you can say that you're restless. The Bible says that the reason is you're restless is you're, you're either haven't learned yet or you're still learning to delight in God. 
Or maybe you're restless this morning because you don't love God. Now, love is a pattern of behavior. Love is a pattern of behavior. And it's no wonder that God gave us this word that deals directly with the secret part of our heart, and He saved it for the last. In the tenth word, what is it? We see this, this, the mountain of God come into view, and we look at it, and we see that there's no place for us to grip and hold on to. We see the sharp summit of the mountain of God. We see Mount Sinai and all of His glory, and there's no way that we can scale it. You see, these commandments are about forming a heart of praise. It's about shaping us from the inside out. And and these words before us are not a tapestry to simply hang on our walls. These words are the foundation of the whole house. These words are not for information, but for transformation. These words are, are not so much to be observed, but to be absorbed. So let's dig into the text just a little bit. Look at this detail here in verse 17. Look at it. I want you to see this. Look at how it's contrasted in particular. Just look at the space in your Bible between verse 17 and verse 18. There's a lot of space there, particularly as you consider verse 13, 14, 15, 16. There's no space. They come out like, you know, pop, 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 15, 13, 14, 15, 16. And then we have 17. We've not seen this much detail in the text since the fourth word. Go over to the fourth word and compare it. Look at verse 8. And look at what that word says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I think that that's on purpose. I think that God's doing this, of course, because it's His word. It's holy, inspired, without any error, profitable for teaching. Even the the way that the text, every word matters. And so, the way that the text is outlined, it's showing us that our focus is on attention, uh, it, or it rather, it focuses our attention on desire and pattern. And there are particular patterns that make up the rhythm of your life. Some of you are hearing the thunder outside, and you're wondering, ah, did I roll up my windows? Some of you are wondering, did I unplug that from the wall at home? Some of you are wondering that. There's particular patterns that God puts into our frame of reference. We've been talking a great deal uh, uh, as a staff about the upcoming fall. Everyone is so looking forward to uh, the upcoming fall semester when students return and Startville gets, I'm told, turned upside down because, you know, everything, we go from uh, 25,000 to 50,000 all of a sudden, and you've all experienced that. I've not experienced that, so I'm excited to experience that with you. And then what else do we know? The fall semester is starting, football's coming, school is starting, for the, and, and this expectation that our ministries here at this church are going to be in full swing. We can't wait. And right now, of course, we're in the furnace of summer, and we understand that it's hot outside, and even there, we're looking for the cool that the fall is going to bring. Desire and pattern. Desire and pattern. Rhythms of life. I've been in a pattern since we've been here. Katie and I have. Our, our boys like to wake us up sub, sub six o'clock. And the reason they would like to wake us up before six o'clock is because they're still on Eastern Standard Time. And so they think that it's seven o'clock. But anyway, we're working through those things. It's pattern. It's pattern. So look at this. Connect this to. God says in your patterning, here's what he says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
thou shalt not covet. Linking those twos together. Now, the pattern, I believe, again, is here on purpose. And the purpose of the pattern is to remind us that worship is not optional. Everyone's a worshiper this morning. Now, not all worship God, but everyone's created in the image of God. And I believe that that means they're created with the capacity to have a relationship with God. So, everyone's a worshiper. But what are they worshiping? Everyone loves. Everyone patterns themselves around what they love. And sure, there's grit and there's grind, but the point is unchanged. You develop your habits around what you love, or your habits become what you love. It's inevitable. You develop your habits around what you love, or your habits become what you love. And what you love, you worship. And we're in a real danger zone here because our affections, since Genesis 3, our affections are misguided. Our affections that are meant to be turned upward and outward are now turned inward. And then the Bible says in this tenth word, thou shalt not covet. So these commandments are reorienting our desires. These commandments are reorienting our desires. And it's also not only reorienting our desires, it's showing us something about the heart of God. God is dedicated to working on us, to reorient us from the inside out through redemption, through what God accomplished on the cross, and the power of the Spirit. He forms in us a heart that lives as a living sacrifice to God. And so this is what I want you to do this morning. Be honest. Search your heart this morning. And the reason I ask you to be honest is because God knows anyway. There's nothing hidden from Him. Have the courage this morning to pray what I believe, or what David says, and I believe it's Psalm 139 when he said, search me and try me. In the secret part of your heart, it's just you there and God. Ask yourself, what do you want? What do I want? No, 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 not that. What do you really want? Do you have it in your mind? Let's see if you're honest. Does the way you spend your time reflect what it is that you think that you want? What about your money? Follow your time and follow your money, and that's where your heart is. Isn't this what Jesus said? I'm, I'm not telling you anything different than what our Lord said, right? Isn't this what He said in Matthew 6, 21? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that what He said? Did you hear that order? He didn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure is. He said, no, no, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I don't know about you, beloved, but that makes me tremble. 
As a pastor, as we come together each week, the question before us is, is what are we emphasizing together? We're not just hopefully going through the motions one by one, bit by bit, making sure that we have the checklist through, you know, we're, we're going through the order of service, and then we just come back next week and do the same thing. What are we emphasizing here? As I lead the staff, I ask myself this question, what am I prioritizing in the way that I lead them? It's budget season here at First Baptist Church, and how are we spending our money that's going to show where our heart is? And it's right here where where I expand that out in my own heart, and and I tremble as a husband here too. If Katie were up here and you were to ask her, what are my desires? What would she tell you? Not what I tell you. And by the way, you had a chance to ask her those things when we had the pastoral interview. She's not open for questions anymore, but you know, (laughs) what would she say are my desires? What about my children? What would they say? As the old Gregorians used to chant, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. There was an old Christian prayer that was offered that went something like this, Almighty and merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from Thy ways like lost sheep. And then listen to this next line. We have followed too much the devices of our own hearts. Are you honest enough this morning to have that type of introspection? Are you honest enough this morning to look at your own heart and say, is this the way that it is? We have followed too much the devices of our own hearts. No. Everything's all right with me. I go to church on Sundays. I pray with my wife at night. I read the Bible to my kid. Is everything all right, sir? Is everything all right, ma'am? How does God see? You see, when the Israelites were taken captive into Babylon, one of the tactics of the enemy was not only to redistribute the, uh, the, the people, but uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was to redis- uh, redistribute them so that they would forsake their customs, so that they would forget about even their religious inclination. So you take a group of people, they don't even speak the same language, you, they're all part of uh, people who've been conquered. You put them all together and you say, now you get, live and figure it out. The only stability that you have in your life is the enemy who's conquered you. And so this is what makes, for example, uh, the beginning part of Daniel so dramatic. This is why we teach our children and our youth and our college students and our men's Bible studies and ladies' Bible studies, Daniel 1. Remember that passage where it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's meat? Well, why that is so dramatic is because of the tactics of the Babylonians who were making them forget the promises that they held dear. And there's a psalm that deals with captivity. It's Psalm 137. Listen to a section of it. Listen to it. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, 
sing us one of the songs of Zion. Peter says that we are the elect exiles. Peter says, he writes the church in his first letter, he says, to the elect exiles here and there. That's us. We're not at home. Heaven is our home. Our King is coming. And I wonder this morning, if our hearts are more in tune with Babylon than they are Zion, and would we even have the inclination to know the difference? We think that we're singing God's songs, but we're really not. We think that we're praising God, but we're really not. It's really just lip service because God knows our hearts. What if our hearts are more in tune with Babylon than Zion? Write this down. The tenth word is here to force our reflection on our affections. That's why it's here. It's here to force our reflection on what we hold dear. And you know what Paul says about covetousness? He says this in Colossians. He says, covetousness is idolatry. And so our affections are are turned towards the wrong things. And we think that these things bring satisfaction, but in reality, they only bring regret. And God says to all of those things, you shall not covet. He's after your heart this morning. He wants all of you. But look at what else we learn from this tenth word. We learn, write this point down. The tenth word, it it opens the door to the thirsty. That's why it's here. It opens, it's an open invitation to anyone who has desires that have been unfulfilled desires. Are you here this morning and you have an unfulfilled desire? When Alex Holland climbed El Capitan, they asked him, they said, what are you going to do next? And he said, I don't know, but something. You spend all of your life pursuing this thing, and you reach the height of no one else has ever achieved this, and it's not enough. Is there anyone that I'm speaking to today that has a desire that has been unfulfilled? To those who've tried to find satisfaction and been unsatisfied, the tenth word invites the thirsty. For those of you who are thirsty, there's an invitation here in the tenth word to come to the fountain and drink of the water that satisfies completely. It was C.S. Lewis who said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's you, beloved. Mr., Mrs., who tried to find satisfaction in all of these places, the reason that you'll never find it is because you're made for God, and you'll never be satisfied until you learn to delight in Him. God gives us these words to recalibrate our hearts. And listen, the recalibration of your heart, you know what that is? That's worship. The recalibration of your heart, that's worship. James K.A. Smith, he says this, listen to this, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, rehabituates our loves. And then listen to this phrase. 
Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. What's the secret motivation of your heart? God knows. Are you satisfied with what God knows? Thou shalt not covet. But covetousness, what is covetousness? Covetousness is different from jealousy or envy. Maybe, maybe you've been listening and you've confused covetousness with jealousy or envy. No, it's not, it's not jealousy, it's not envy, it's covetousness. You say, what is it? Well, jealousy, it protects what is rightfully ours. Now, of course, jealousy can be misguided, it can be misdirected, it can be overbearing. But covetousness is not jealousy. And it's also not envy, because envy looks at the success of others with contempt. Envy despises the success of others. Covetousness looks at what others have and wants it, no matter the cost. Covetousness looks at what others has and wants it, no matter the cost. Now, there is a remedy for a covetous heart. You know what the remedy is for a heart that's filled full of coveting? It's another C word. The remedy for a heart that covets is another C word. The remedy for coveting is contentment. Contentment. And so this morning, can you say that you're content? Can you honestly say, we're having an honest conversation, you and God, can you honestly say that you're content? You see, where covetousness takes, contentment receives. Where covetousness is insatiable, contentment is satisfied. Now, if you're wondering here this morning, well, how do I become content? What's the road? What's the pathway to contentment? Here's what I want to tell you this morning from the Apostle Paul, who I think had a pretty interesting way or authoritative way to say about contentment because of all that he learned. Here's what he said in Timothy, and he said this in Philippians. He said, contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. I'm still learning contentment, aren't you? I'm still learning contentment. Here's what Jeremiah Burroughs, he, he was an old Puritan pastor. He says this about con, uh, uh, contentment. He said, contentment is a rare Christian jewel. He wrote a classic called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And listen to what he says. Contentment, Christian contentment, is that sweet inward quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Thank the Lord, contentment is learned. Are you content this morning? You shall not covet. 
You see, beloved, we are most like the devil when we covet. And we don't know much about why or uh, Satan fell from the heavens, but we do know that when he fell, he brought covetousness to the heart of humanity. And his first question to Eve is where we get this from. What did he say to Eve first? He said, did God say? And the implication behind that question was that God was keeping something from them. There was something that they were lacking. And so God, because of his mercy, he, he let that unfold. He, he gave us libertarian freedom where we have the power to make a choice, and he let humanity have that choice and that freedom. And then what happened? He saw everything that went on. And don't miss what happens next. He sees their, their, their eyes are open. They see that they're naked and they're ashamed. The serpent infiltrated the garden. He put that, that lustful desire in Eve. And then as James says, lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it, when it gives birth, death is there. And as a result, Eve saw. She coveted because she thought God was keeping something from her. She took. She gave to the husband who was with her who should have said something different. But he took it. They ate it together. And as a result, disaster unfolded upon humanity. God sees all of this. He knows. And He comes seeking and saving the lost ones. What's He do? Seeing and knowing all this transpired, He comes and He says, Adam, He calls. Where are you? He knew where he was, but his response was to come and to call. And then he responded ultimately by sending the Son. As Malachi say, the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in its wings. And Jesus came. And the portrait of him in the Gospels, which is what I want to take you to next week, the portrait of this Jesus satisfies every one of our longings. This Jesus, he shows us that, as the old, uh, as the old writer used to say, the old uh, songwriter, he used to say that Jesus is the joy of man's desiring. He's the joy of your desiring. And he is the proper orientation of all of our desires. And in a mystery too great for us to explain, we realize that God came seeking and saving us. And he, he came to us not because His glory was lacking, not because He was trapped into coming. He came for us for one reason. He came because He loves us. God loves you. And God teaches us that He is your greatest desire. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, listen, we get a glimpse of the heart of God and understand that His desire is us. You are the desire of God. No wonder the psalmist wrote, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. And then listen to what he says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, I just step outside. The moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? Who am I that you're mindful of me? The Son of Man, that you care for Him, that you have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor, taking us back to Genesis. He says, you have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. God looks at your heart this morning. He sees your longing. He sees you striving. And He says to you, if you're thirsty and you found out that there's nothing that can bring you satisfaction, He says, come to me, and you'll find the satisfaction of your soul. How do you satisfy your soul? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Do not covet. Instead, pursue contentment. And if you're thirsty this morning, The invitation for you from Exodus 20, 17, the tenth word, is to come to the one who says, come drink of me without cost and find the satisfaction of your soul. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you for loving us with a great love, tremendous and true. Lord, help us this morning to realize that You are our only satisfaction. Father, to one who's thirsty, who doesn't love You, I pray that today they would hear Your voice calling their name, welcoming them to lay it down and find the one who brings satisfaction to their soul. Save them. Secure them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.